carry nearly 80 gigs of data in my head. You're in the mainframe. It's eating through Greg's entire system. Access encoded. Gigabyte of RAM should do the trick. We're in. We're in. We're in. We're in. We're in. Hello and welcome to We're In, a podcast that gets inside the brightest minds in cybersecurity. I'm Jeremiah Rowe. And I'm Bella Deschamps-Cook. Today, we are talking to Zanette Kamal, who wrote Oh No, Hacked Again, a children's book about cybersecurity, which is pretty cool. Jeremiah, I know you've got a three-year-old. Do you have lots of cybersecurity children's books on your shelf already? I don't, but I'm definitely going to be getting this one. I love the idea of sharing these concepts with my daughter. This is an amazing book written by an inspirational leader in this field. Zanette is also an award-winning cybersecurity professional keynote speaker and currently works in cloud security. We'll talk to her in a bit, but first, a word from our sponsor. Attackers scan your systems daily. You just don't get the report. Synax Security Testing Platform stands out by drawing on a trusted network of global security researchers. From web apps to headless APIs, our platform helps you find and fix gaps in your security posture. Learn more at synac.com. That's S-Y-N-A-C-K.com. So thank you so much for joining the show today, Zenet. We're super excited to have you here. Kind of wanted to ask the question around your transition from law into cybersecurity. What inspired you to make that move in the first place? Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Zena Kamal. I'm a mom of four and a wife and <laughs> an author and uh, a cybersecurity professional. But to answer your question, so... Um, you know, I moved um, from Ethiopia to the U.S. nine years ago, and like mentioned, I was in the legal field, you know, moving here and just um, seeing the opportunity. I've always wanted to be in technology. So I joined a local community college. Just, just my goal at that point was, you know, to study programming, which I have no background, and to become a programmer or a developer, which, which, which again, I don't have any idea, but just enrolled into that program. Um, did my associate's degree in computer programming two years later and then transitioned to a four-year degree again to do computer science because I still things didn't make sense. Uh, lack of the background, background um, and then also, you know, other factors, you know, situated in a, in a new continent and a new country uh, coming from Ethiopia and a different background. Um, so last year of my undergrad program, doing my computer science program there, I discovered this uh, competition, a uh, cyber defense competition. I joined that team. Um, ultimately, you know, like um, uh, at the end of that, up until then, I haven't had any exposure with cybersecurity or, you know, as a course or as part of the program. It was just one elective course that we needed to take. And then, you know, through that exposure, you know, that sparked my interest to work in, in cybersecurity field uh, to answer it shortly. But that, that was that was the, the moment when I knew that, you know, like I should. And, and that's not a long time ago. It was like in 20, um, in, end of 2017. So a lot of individuals would find that to be kind of a daunting change. What was the biggest change or most difficult part about that change for you? Yeah, like I mentioned, you know, not having the background because in law school, you don't get 
any math classes or nothing computing. And the fact that, you know, I grew up knowing no technology, having no computers, you know, even up until I, even in higher education, law school, we don't have computers. We don't have access to internet. We just have books that we take turns to do, you know, from libraries. So they're not having that background. And I talked about this uh, last time when I was doing the SANS um, keynote speaking. When I came to the U.S., I probably knew like Microsoft Word and Paint and not even Excel Word. Like I didn't have any of the, like the lack of that background and just the intimidation of it, like not having that experience. You know, like when I was attending those classes, because I was immediately um, jumped into the main courses of the programming, HTML, you know, into that computer programming classes, not having the computing concepts, the math classes, it just new country, new continent, just the dynamics of adjusting and navigating a new system in general. Plus, I was seven months pregnant with my second one. I had a toddler. Uh, it was just a new <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> so, yeah, so, and we knew no one, yeah, we knew no one when we moved to Minnesota. The only reason we picked Minnesota, because a lot of people asked us out of all the states, why did you pick Minnesota? And the reason was we, when we got that opportunity to come here, we only knew uh, someone through my husband who he knew you know, from high school. He hadn't spoken to her in a while. And he just messaged her on Facebook Messenger. And she said, yeah, you can come here, but I'm going back to Ethiopia because she hasn't gotten back in eight years since she came here through refugee system. And then, uh, so we, we, we didn't have an option. So we just came here. She was able to guide us only for those four days. And then she left. Then me, seven months pregnant, a toddler and my husband, jobless, you know, no snow. We don't know snow in, in, in our, in, in Ethiopia. It's uh, 13 months of sunshine always. So, um, just the, that adjustment is, I think, uh, what has been challenging. And then just, you know, people talking about, like, I have, uh, I have done this project. You hear people talking about, I have done this project in high school. And that was intimidating because what was I doing in high school? Like we didn't have computers. We didn't have access to that. So um, all of those things. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you knew you wanted to get into technology, but hearing about your background, you know, not being exposed to technology, to computers at a young age, what made you sure that this was definitely a field you were interested in? Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been fascinated by technology and like I have, it's just not having that access, but I knew about technology, you know, uh, what it does, like how it can be used to help solve problems. Um, and there are like my husband studied computer science in, back in Ethiopia. That's where we made at the university. Like I've seen him code and stuff, but um, once you are in a certain field, you cannot change. Like that's how the system is set up. Like in high school, if you are in a, a social sciences route, you can, there are only certain fields that you can be in. And I myself said multiple times, self-eliminated myself from uh, math classes because I've always thought that I'm not good at math. So I've never navigated the route of natural sciences where when it's time to go to the university, um, you you have certain options to be in those spaces only, you know. So, um, yeah, but I, I mean, I knew about it. Like, and then people talk about like technology is huge and healthcare, hair, you know, healthcare is huge um, coming here. So I had to do some thinking, you know, when I decided that I'm going to restart and start from scratch, you know, <laughs> from, uh, you know, in, in a new country. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about like the challenges. I can't even imagine some of the stuff that you were going through, like trying to put, you're like, I'm trying to put myself in that situation. It sounds like almost everything in your life was changing all at once. You were kind of just going for it, like new living situation, new career field, all of this all at once, which is really impressive. And I'm wondering, 
what were the things that sort of kept you going? What inspired you about the field, the positive things that made you know that it was worth it to go through all of this? Yeah, I think in the beginning, especially, you know, um, you know, before moving here, I've always, I've also had an opportunity to, to pursue a, a grad program elsewhere, a scholarship. So when we got this opportunity, oh, we thought, you know, for our kids and for our growing family, it would be a good idea to go there um, because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity that you get, you know, a diversity visa. That's how we got here. Um, so it's just, you know, the endless opportunities, like what, what, what excuses do I have? I have the accesses and I have the opportunity. So why not? And then just, you know, being able to become a good role model for, for my kids and then just seeing that, you know, just seeing a bright future. Right. Um, at that point, you know, it can be challenging. You know, I had my my second child, which is my first daughter, right after, you know, um, we settled in. You know, there were challenges because my husband had to work all day and then, you know, being able to uh, at that point, I was just preparing myself to go back to school, you know, uh, watching a, a jealous toddler, which which happens whenever another newborn is in the house. And when you find out that they're not leaving the house anymore, they just they just get jealous and um, just, you know, navigating that and just postpartum issues, just being alone, you know, coming from a community-based system and just being alone because we knew no one. Um, uh, there are a lot of challenges with, with those as well. But just, you know, seeing the bright future, like I've never at any point felt like, um, um, you know, I had to look back, but look in the future, look ahead and see what are the possibilities, like what, what could I do, you know, with me and the opportunity that I have. And I think that that mindset kept me going always, yeah. Absolutely. And I know I've heard you speak about making this transition and wanting to help others get into this space as well. And you clearly, you had the drive, you had the motivation. What are some things though, beyond just sharing your perspective and your story here, what are pieces of advice that you'd maybe want to give to others who are trying to do a similar transition? Um, I would say like, I, would, I wouldn't say like everybody go to cybersecurity, but like if you have the passion and, and the need, like if you have the interest, like I've, I've been fortunate enough to see that early on, like even if it's uh, the last year of my, you know, computer science degree, which, you know, through that competition that I mentioned, but, you know, it's, it's like if, if you believe in yourself and you, you can do it, like you do belong in this, in such spaces, like if you have that interest and I think, that's been the the mantra that I have been, you know, saying all the time. Like if you, if you have the passion, you you can do it too. Like if I can do it, you can do it. Like I have had a million excuses that I could I could have been giving, um, but that didn't limit me like from making that transition. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like sometimes just reminding yourself or even hearing someone else say like, "Hey, you belong here. If you're excited about this, you belong here." I think that's a mantra that I've sort of come back to a lot in my own journey in this field. Just like hearing you belong here, it kind of helps. I would agree with that too. Yeah. And it's not easy, right? Especially when it's when you are in a field that's continuously evolving, like to, to get hit by those feelings of like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, have, I always have those moments, you know? So uh, it's always good to have that reminder, like there is a reason for me being here, you know, too. There's a particular thing I, I heard a mentor of mine speak about it once, uh, imposter syndrome. And when he was giving that talk, I'm like, I feel that too. And then since then, I've seen others sort of come out and say, you know, I feel imposter syndrome all the time being here. And and it points back to your statement that you just made. And I think it was, it's, it's so simple yet eloquently stated that, you know, 
if you feel happy in this space, you belong here. If you're excited by this space, you belong here, sort of a thing. Um, switching gears just slightly for our listeners, I see in the background there's there's sort of two books that you've got. And I know that you've written a couple of books. One of them, uh, or your first book, is an award-winning book called Proud in Her um, Hijab. And how did you, I, I was just kind of wondering, how did you get into writing children's books? Yeah, the pandemic. I'll blame the pandemic. <laughs> you know, uh, in 2020, we, you know, have four kids, um, three different classes, plus a baby. Um, you know, they completely transitioned suddenly to, you know, distance learning and we had to support them. Plus, you know, doing a full-time job with my, my husband and myself working remotely. And then we have a baby at that point in the beginning of the pandemic. He, he was four months. Now he's two and a half years old. I don't know how that happened, but who's counting time since the pandemic, right? So, um, yeah, it was, the book came about, um, so I've never written anything. I've never been an author. It was just coming from, you know, how do I solve a problem? You know, like, let's just write a book, you know? Uh, 2021, March, I think it's going to be a year uh, soon that, you know, I published the first book, like we mentioned, Proud in Her Hijab. Uh, it's a story of family strength, identity, and empowerment. And uh, it's coming out of, you know, the question from my own kids, uh, having similar questions, you know, they're, they're bringing questions about their hair braids, their hair texture and types and their hijab. Like, you know, when you're spending your days with diverse group of people, like in school, depending on where you're going, uh, you get asked questions and usually they, they bring that to their parents. And I thought, you know, if these questions are asked here, probably it is also happening in another household. So I thought, let's teach ourselves how to self-publish and publish a book. <laughs> so that's what I did. And I just started, the reason why I hopped on Clubhouse app is to find rooms and uh, <laughs> uh, listen into how authors like publish a book and whatever they're writing, how do they make it a book, how to get an ISBN and all of those things. So the main message of the book is really to empower and uplift girls who choose to wear hijab to be proud of themselves, their identities, and you know just to bring their whole selves as they are because they're are a lot of you know mainstream media a lot of things going on in the media that are you know stereotypical things that are going on you know so uh just to let them know like i see you that's literally in the dedication of the book and then to also create awareness for readers that you know a lot of these misconceptions are coming from not knowing i truly believe that so creating awareness especially for children right um the importance of appreciating diversity and uh you know the importance of appreciating uh, other people's faith and cultural differences all of those things because it's a multi multicultural book because uh, i have snippets of things from like the food ethiopian food in jera the flatbread um it has description of the heat the eid festivities which is delicious by the way i've i've had I had my first Ethiopian food probably a year ago and someone took me there and I was like, I was, I was like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. You can have it with any sauce, just not sugar. I, I always say that <laughs> not sugar stuff, but anything, anything, anything spicy. Well, a lot of the foods are spicy, like beef vegetarian, but yeah, that was the, there are a lot of, you know, messages attached to the book, but that's how it came about. And I was pleased, you know, that it became, you know, Amazon number one bestseller and won a couple of awards too. Uh, but I just continued to get inspired by the messages, uh, you know, I'm getting from the children and the parents and the read aloud 
about events afterwards, you know, just how the message resonates with them. And that it, even adults like telling me that, oh, I've learned a lot of things from the book, even though it's a, a book for a six to 12 year old <laughs> yeah, age group. Congratulations, by the way, that that's really phenomenal. Thank you so much. Thank you. Can you can you also tell us about the second book that you wrote as well? Um, oh, no, hacked again. Yeah, and that that one also, I also blame the kids now because they keep being the inspirations because when you have four kids, you never run out of inspirations. You know, during the pandemic, they were spending a lot of time, a lot more than what they are allowed to online and, you know, online gaming, um, chatting and stuff. Um, so I've noticed uh, more than, I think, one occasion that my kids, I think two of them, accounts got hacked uh, from those gaming experiences. And so... Um, it, it's really about teaching kids the importance of online safety, password security, and MFA. You know, like we we try to we don't notice when we give them tablets and access to the internet. We don't say that you know it's too early, but we always tend to think that you know teaching them about online safety and cybersecurity is too early. So um, I published it six months after the first one, and I looking back, I'm like, how did I do that? Because really difficult to do that like you have to recover from doing the first one because I did it while learning and a lot of challenges also because you have to have interaction with an illustrator making sure that your story gets captured appropriately because they're picture books too describing them and having that portrayed the way you want it to be um, and the designer working with a professional editor and then just to be able to do the second one was like afterwards like I I felt that I was burned out, but it's worth it because uh, um, it, it's really important. Like we have to teach our kids the importance of online safety and also, you know, sparking interest for young readers to to explore this field when they grow up, like STEM field, cybersecurity in general, like to see that in as much as they're saying, I want to be a doctor, I want to be, a, my kids want to be princesses and sometimes artists, it depends. But my, or a soccer player, none of the doctors and engineer things have been mentioned in this house, but they just want to be, you know, drawers, artists. Uh, but I've never seen anybody who says like, I want to be a cybersecurity professional. I mean, you can say that it's newer, like we don't even know what it is yet. <laughs> We're figuring it out. How do you figure out which age you're going to kind of tailor the book for itself? Because I know like these kinds of concepts are hard for adults to grasp in some ways. Um, so, so how do you break it down for children to understand these things? Yeah, so from the responses that I've gotten, like they're like very simple, like they can understand it. But for me, I don't know, maybe I am writing. I, I, so the, all of the characters and the names are my kids. Like all of the, my four kids are the characters. Even they physically, like I literally sent to the, yeah. So even the names because representation, right? Um, they, to seeing themselves in character wise and also seeing their names. Like that has been very important to me. And uh, so uh, having that, going back to the question, I got, I lost track of it talking about that, but um <laughs> But it, it, it's dumb. So I know how they talk. I think seeing it from their perspective. So the second book's main character is my 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 second um, kid. It's Elham. She's eight years old. She loves online gaming and she got hacked and how she navigated that, how to operate safely online. So I know how they talk. I think it comes from being a mother to four kids, maybe. And then also... Um, 
there are, you know, you have to involve like professional editors for the book so that it's age appropriate. And usually I didn't have those problems where, oh, this is what they would say. This is what they would say, you know, versus an adult. And then at the back of the book for both books, I have terms defined. For example, for the first book, I have hijab defined for people who don't know hijab. There are people who are struggling to even pronounce it because it's Arabic word. I understand. And then you did it. You did great, by the way. <laughs> and then, okay, and then. <laughs> I practiced before. I was like, listen, y'all, I'm going to need a little bit of help here because I sometimes don't pronounce things, right? So. <laughs> exactly. I know I've, I've heard people calling it hajib and I had to send like an audio training from Google and the, the person always laughs and still managed to make a mistake, but we always laugh about it. But there are terms, for example, um, in the in the second book, I try to define the term cybersecurity, internet, Wi-Fi. Uh, there is a glossary vocabulary at the at the back of it. I wish I could show you. Um, and then you know all of those things to make sure that you know as parents are having those conversations about multi-factor authentication because the books are meant to be conversation starters. And then to define like I I don't even know like how to define that for a kid, but. The definitions might still be difficult, but at least, you know, I tried like what it means, what an internet is, what a Wi-Fi is, because six to 12 years of age, that's the age group, because that's, I, I, and, I, and, I, and I figured it, my, my, my experiments from my kids, because my kids are, when I wrote it, six-year-old, I have an eight-year-old, I have a 12-year-old, so I have them like read it and tell me like, is this something a 12-year-old like? And my son would say, yeah, totally. This is awesome. You know, and then sometimes they would tell me, most of the time they'll tell me it's lame. Like it's lame. We don't do such words. Like <laughs> it's it's cringy. That's that's what they would use. This cringy. Yeah. They say cringy. Like nobody says that. Mom don't. Like, and then I would stop. But they don't have to do that a lot, but I always try to make sure that I run it by professional editors because um it's for the kids. They they deserve to see quality stuff, you know. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier were these kind of conversations about cybersecurity where folks are giving their kids iPads and access to the internet, but they're not having conversations about cybersecurity because, or at least partly because it feels like these concepts are too complex to discuss with children. But like we just mentioned, you talked about your kids getting hacked on their online gaming. It is really important to have these conversations. So how do we sort of change adults and parents' minds about when the appropriate time is to have these conversations? Yeah, I think when whenever they're they're hopping to the internet, like the moment you're on the internet, right? Uh, and then just having that mindset that, you know, we always tend to have this myth about you know, online security is that you, we always tend to to assume that what would a hacker get from me? Like our data is, isn't, uh, you know, not valuable to anybody else, but that's not how it works. Um, anybody can be, you know, a, a target for, for, for those cyber attacks and kids are more vulnerable to, like I talked about, you know, a possible online predator situation that might have happened, you know, like how to have that open communication with your parents whenever those things happen. And I think that's what the book is centered is like always to go to your parents, go to an adult, someone that you trust to say that I'm having these issues. What do I do? Because online predators, usually they, they like broken families and like families who don't talk to their parents because they tend to say, because I've seen that with, with my, in the stories that, you know, don't talk, I'm, I'm your big brother, I'm your friend, don't tell anybody. And then that's how they groom and, you know, whatever inappropriate things that they're setting the stage for. But um, I've had that 
touched in the book as well. Now they are willing to learn versus let me teach you cybersecurity. Here we go, chapter one, cryptography. I didn't do that. It, it has to be something with a story that they can relate and then seeing, oh my God, this happened to me as well. This particular story, um, interestingly enough, sounds almost relevant for my particular grandparents, funny enough. And I say that because there's concepts that are difficult concepts, both, I think, for children to grasp and then at least for my grandparents, because I spend a lot of time with them. My grandmother got her first smartphone probably a year ago that I sent her. And um, she's been spending a lot of time trying to understand it and, and understand the concept of what the internet is and and how you can get on the Facebook and and all of these sort of concepts around. But Cybersecurity in general is an interesting concept that, you know, that she just has no fathom about. And so this seems like an interesting way to kind of introduce her to that as well. I mean, just the general concepts and definitions remain the same when it comes to security, like enable your MFA. Like it seems so easy, but do we do it? No, unless we see someone that we know get hacked and then, oh my God, let me enable that. In the story, it talks about like the brother coming in and say, oh, by the way, enable MFA. And, you know, the, the sister says, oh, what is that again? And then you say, I'll show you how to set it up. You know, it, it further protects your account. And, you know, like uh, even if you're, you know, uh, the bad guys have your password, then you don't have to worry about it. And then, you know, um, yeah, I think it's really important. So I saw, I think on your LinkedIn, I saw that you're active with Black Girls and Cyber. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that organization and how you're involved with them. Yeah, I I joined the organization um, as a volunteer at last year, I think, end of last year. Um, it's a really great organization to, for, you know, advocating for diversity within cybersecurity, privacy, and STEM fields. I am in the board. Like I said, I'm newer, but um, in the board. So they have a lot of programs to bringing uh, cohorts to train them in cybersecurity, privacy. I am the co-director in branding and social media. Um, It's a really great organization for, you know, like finding your tribe and finding that confidence and training for people, you know, who are trying to break into cybersecurity. And just, you know, sometimes you just train and know a couple of things to do, but I think you needed that guidance and mentorship and just seeing other people who are on the same boat struggling to to get into the the field or what might be the challenges specific to, for example, like, uh, you know, people of color or, you know, Black women, like what are some of the things that they're facing. And, and, and I think it's uh, really important. Uh, so far, it's been great uh, just volunteering and supporting the organization. And it's really growing to um, faster than expected. I think what we've seen uh, based off of what you said, there's been a growing number of organizations that are now currently aimed at increasing diversity in cybersecurity and technology in general. So organizations like, you know, Girls Who Code, Black Girls Code, Blacks in Tech, etc., I was wondering if you could share your particular opinion on why these organizations are important from a diversity perspective. Yeah, I think, you know, everybody's experiences are different. You know, my experience uh, as a woman in, in, in cybersecurity and another person's experience might be different. So I think it's important to have that shared experience of being, you know, uh, what I'm saying, the challenge is being a, a, a Black professional or a Black woman professional within the industry. Like, how do I negotiate salary and just being aware of those um 
like pay gaps and how do we find that mentorship and support? And I think it depends. Like I'm a member of Women in Cybersecurity first. Um, I'm also a member of Empower Cybersecurity, founded by Tia Hawkins. You might know her. Um, and, and I know that they do similar things, but they have also their niche programmings that they do in terms of like elevating that. Because um, when it comes to, you know, the statistics of it too, like the, there are like less women, we know that it's less diverse in, in the industry. There are less women. Up until recently, it was only 11% of women, you know, that identify as females and now it grew up to 24%. And when it comes to Black professionals and women and Black, you know, women within the industry, it goes down the number, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 9% or so. So um, the experiences, there might be shared experiences and there are experiences that are specific to a certain group of people so like uh, finding that support to each other and seeing that you know there are people who are in the industry that are willing to mentor and provide that guidance and then you know seeing them like as a representation like me seeing Tia or Talia the founder of Black Girls in Cyber or Mari she's a woman in cyber jutsu I think uh, uh, Mari Galloway just seeing them just motivates me and tells me that you know I I do also belong to such spaces because I'm seeing those. And that was part of the, the book too. Like, you know, I have, I've indicated that I can be a cybersecurity professional because after that problem was solved, she saw that her mom, aka me, was also in cyber professional. So I have my, you know, illustrations in there. Just seeing that, you know, I can be too, just like my mom. You know, she is a cool, you know, she's, it's, it's dope that she's in cybersecurity, you know. So those representations are very important. So, I work in cybersecurity, I identify as a woman, and it's an experience, like, it's a very specific experience. I remember the first time that I went to a woman-centered conference, it was the Grace Hopper Conference, and I remember looking around and seeing mostly women and thinking just sort of, like, it was the first moment in my career that I really felt like I do belong here. Like, yeah, I'm okay here, I belong in this field. And it's kind of interesting. I think sometimes it's easy to forget how talking about that shared experience is important and impactful. I know that you've talked about how important it is to increase representation, talk about representation in the tech industry, and you're on the board of Black Girls in Cyber. What are some ways that you can suggest that me and other folks in this field can help do that as well? Like, what are the ways that we can promote diversity, support one another, and get more women, Black folks, and other minorities into this field? Yeah. And I think that, the share, I don't know if you know, Share the Mic in Cyber uh, by Camille Start and, and Lauren Zibrick and Caitlin, they, they, they have founded this movement, you know, Share the Mic in Cyber, where um, um, allies would promote um, and, and also not only just promoting on that day, but also providing scholarship and all of those things. And just support, like genuine support, um, just being an advocate on, on, on their behalf and just vouching for them and speaking whenever, you know, those people are not in that room and just appreciating like the importance of it having those diversities for those businesses to the benefit of the business because um, I think the business benefits more from having diverse teams with diverse perspectives coming from different you know spaces to solve the you know the the, the cyber problem that we continue to face. So speaking of getting more women in this field, I know that you currently work as a cloud security engineer. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's like or what your day-to-day -day is like? 
So um, I joined six months ago <laughs> the, the organization of Fortune 500 uh, Best Buy as a, an associate cloud security engineer, and I've never worked in, in, in cloud environments before. Um, and like I mentioned, you know, when I started my career, I started as an IT auditor, then, you know, moved to uh, state government working as an information security engineer in that space. And then recently, like I mentioned, six months ago, joined that there, and I'm still navigating and learning, you know, it's a huge organization. Uh, still bookmarking stuff and not, not to get lost in a remote environment. But uh, it's been an interesting uh, thing. Uh, so uh, mainly our role is, you know, I work in a cloud security engineering space uh, to make sure that, you know, what secure looks like in the cloud with the cloud operation teams and other people, you know, definitely collaboration um, and making sure that, you know, in cloud, what, what's, what secure looks like in the cloud in the process of that data migration from data center to the cloud preparation, those, um, you know, secure configuration guidelines, working with the architects and, and the engineers and developers um, and setting those uh, guidelines and making sure that we're, we're detecting them and um, providing those guidances in general. In a nutshell, that's what we're working on. Yeah. I myself am a former Best Buy employee, but I worked at one of the local stores. I was a Geek Squad agent. Geek Squad! Uh, sorry, I had to shout, shout that mantra for a second. I had a blast. Um, I thought it was a great organization to work for. They do a lot of things to help out the employees. And um, I really enjoyed my time there. So um, really cool to hear that you're happy to be working for them. So. Yeah, yeah. Initially, I, I wasn't even looking to get into cloud security. I was preparing myself getting, you know, AWS Cloud Practitioner and CCSK from Cl Cloud Security Alliance. Um, and then SANS, also GCLB, the Cloud Security Essentials. That was the newer one. Um, but, you know, LinkedIn sometimes can't lie. If you're present there, people would notice you and try to come and say, like, maybe you need to change and, like, come on over. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. I have four kids. I, I don't want any change. I'm good. But probably it was also coming from like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for for, for that. But I took a bet and I, uh, you know, after months of those conversations going on, me saying, no, I'm not ready. And then uh, they're being persistent. I, I made the transition and I'm glad I did. It was a really great fit. I'm learning a lot. And I think that that was the whole point of it, you know, learning. Um, I'm also doing my grad school at Georgia Tech. Uh, initially, I got accepted for uh, information security track, but um, after two or three courses, I, I thought, you know, because they have policy track and uh, cyber infrastructure track, so I, I switched to policy. But you, you take, you know, it's mandatory that you take courses from other parts. It's supposed to be interdisciplinary, so uh, it's been helpful in getting, you know, a little bit of everything from there. But um, so far, it's going well. Three more courses to go to finish. Yeah, I think it's really interesting for folks that kind of like have other areas of study or other careers before they get into cybersecurity, we're often able to kind of draw back on those previous experiences and see how they inform and impact the way that we operate in this field. And it sort of seems like you're having this sort of full circle moment where you're able to kind of draw on some of your experiences before being in this field. What is that like? Yeah, usually though, yeah, usually though, like uh, people, especially people coming like immigrants, um, I don't know, might be self-imposed, like we tend to assume that anything that we have back home is worthless, like 
it doesn't like because people start from scratch or like not being able to continue their career as they have started back home that we we uh, I don't know me and a lot of the people in the community I've seen like coming as a doctors and not being able to even coming with computer science degrees not being able to find that employment here um so I, it might be self-imposed like I've kind of pushed it, never talked about it until recently when I mentioned to people, like people say, what, you have a law degree? That's cool. Now I started talking about it. So I think it does like uh, help. Um, and there are a lot of things that you're bringing in uh, in terms of skills, transferable skills that might be pertinent to the cyber world as well. So kind of looking in the future with some of the things you're working on, if you want to share, you feel comfortable sharing, do you have like kind of a path that you would like to go down? Like right now you're kind of focusing on policy, but what does the future hold for Xena, right? From a, a trajectory perspective. Yeah, uh, it's it's hard figuring out day by day, but I, I, I don't know. I just want to be, you know, like um, a, a valuable thought leader in the space in cybersecurity, being able to advocate for like diversity and just bettering how the industry looks like and then just uh, being able value to other people like in terms of the cloud security, cybersecurity, uh, those are like my areas of interest and policy too. I was still having issues like how do I tie like the policy with the with this one but there there will be time um, and you mentioned it right they're not disparate like they're not separate things like one supports and complements um, another one and we tend to have like okay we have seven to eight uh, domains within cybersecurity, like cybersecurity isn't just one thing, uh, but they're totally interdependent. Like I um, started as an IT auditor, moved to information security, working on AppSec stuff, and now in cloud security. So a lot of the things as I was transitioning from roles to roles, I tend to talk about relevant things that I've worked in the past that are relevant to the job description that I'm currently applying for. Just making that connection and just talking about it and saying, you know, security is all about enabling the business. It's not one, it's not technology. Having those, you know, common grounds that applies to every role, I think it ties it together. So I would say, um, yeah, work on my public speaking fears. I'm working on that con- consistently by just facing them. Because my, my mentor, AJ Yon, he always says, like, the only way to get over that is just by doing public speaking. And I'll say, okay, let's do it. And I just did, yeah, I just did my first keynote speaking at, at Sands uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, so yeah, as I was doing it, I feel like like some of the things are falling off. Like it wasn't easy because um, back in Ethiopia or here, like I didn't have that that mentorship. Uh, I didn't I didn't know that as a concept. Like until twenty twenty, I didn't have a mentor. So that that has been helpful. Uh, just knowing that you know you get better at it the more you do it has been helpful. So um, I always tend to think about whenever I get invited for podcasts or any place, especially after the books got out. You know, I get invited to a place and I was like, should I go or not? let me just pass it and then you know I just go back and say that's the only way to get better and then I and I do it. Like AJ's voice rings in my head and I'll I'll just do it. You know. <laughs> so I think that is all of the questions that we had for you. We do just have one final, like easier question to wrap things up, which is the question that we ask all of our guests. So what is something that you're comfortable sharing that we wouldn't know about you just from looking at your LinkedIn or other online social media? Oh, okay. Um, uh, I would say like in, like in the 
by the end of pandemic, uh, like, I know not end of pandemic, but in the beginning of the pandemic, 2020, that's when I was coming off my maternity leave. Um, so, um, you know, working from home. So I, as of then and now, I was able to lose about, I think, 50 pounds, just, you know, just working from home and just losing the baby weight. And it's it's hard to lose baby weight, and especially if you're having 11, 11 pound babies, all four of them are 11 pounds for no apparent reason. They just like to come off so huge. And then they just, they're, they're normal babies now. They're just normal size skinny babies. But I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just proud that I was able to lose um, the, just the, the mom weight. I, like I, I'm at a weight where I was like pre-baby. So that was um, consistent work uh, and something I'm proud of. And I don't think I talked about it anywhere. So thank you for making me talk about it. <laughs> That's amazing. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I learned so much from uh, this conversation and hopefully look forward to seeing more from you in the future. Thank you so much for joining us. If you liked today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. It'll really help us get noticed on your favorite podcast platforms. Also, share this episode with your friends. And if you haven't already, make sure to check out all the other really fascinating people that we've already interviewed. We're also open to suggestions. If you know someone we should be talking to, drop us a line at we'reinpodcast at synac.com. That's we'reinpodcast at S-Y-N-A-C-K dot com. We're In is brought to you by Synac. If you're looking for on-demand, continuous access to the world's most skilled and trusted security researchers, you can learn more at synac.com. Synac recently launched its Empower Partner Program so that partner organizations can more easily offer the Synac pen testing platform to their own customers. This approach helps optimize Synac partners' technical competencies and allows them to better integrate Synac into their portfolios. It's a way that partners can win new business by adding continuous, best-in-class solutions to cybersecurity, cloud, and DevSecOps offerings. Synac partners with organizations around the world to make them safer, more resistant to cyber attacks, and more capable of finding and fixing dangerous vulnerabilities before attackers are able to exploit them. Learn more at synac.com. That's S-Y-N-A-C-K dot com.